Dobre Dosho, which is welcome in Bulgarian. Believe it or not, this is really helpful. I am learning a lot of different ways to say welcome. Welcome, everybody, to the Daddy Unscripted podcast. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the creator and host of the podcast. I'm happy to have you all here. And this episode is another fork in the road, meaning that it is not just talking about parenting. It is my fork in the road episode with Ross Newhan, who I recently sat down with. And you may have all heard that episode. If not, you should go back and listen to it. But this is Ross and I talking about his history in the sport of baseball as a J.G. Taylor Spink Award winner in the National Baseball Hall of Fame as well as all of his history with the Dodgers and the Angels as their uh, beat writer and then the national baseball columnist for the Los Angeles Times for many years. So all of that is really interesting, and you'll get to hear more about his position on the Angels and uh, on the Dodgers, even current day, as well as my little rants on some of those things as well. So also another little addendum to this episode, which I'm really sorry to have to even say these words, but at a certain point while we are talking, I really have no idea why or how this happened. And it was unfortunate that I didn't get to see it taking place and couldn't correct it right away. But it sounds like one of the mics just dropped out or for some reason it switches from uh, stereo to mono. So you can still completely hear the conversation. It's just you might not hear it on one side of your speakers. So I apologize, even though it almost makes sense because Ross is such a throwback that we're going back to kind of like AM radio, right? It makes sense for it to happen during Ross's episode. So uh, I apologize for that. I know it's always a um, yucky thing when there are audio issues with something that is strictly audio, but it wasn't something that I felt I should go back and re-record all of the little gems that he presented during that time. So definitely still worth the listen. I hope you enjoy this episode. And here we go with Ross Newham. We are here with our fork in the road with Ross Newham, a baseball guru, expert, knower of all, sports writer <laughs> from the two Long Beach papers back in the 60s. Uh, because they had a morning and afternoon edition, which you can hear more about in his original Daddy episode. And then moving on to the LA Times in 68, mm-hmm. uh, and eventually becoming their national columnist. National baseball columnist, right. And, right. and uh, covering, during that time, both the Angels and the Dodgers, traveling with the teams, etc., etc. So off microphone, well, I'll I'll pause right here. To leave a good place for me to input the same intro that I had in the first episode because it's fantastic and perfect. So listen to that now. If you want to give kind of your, I, I mean, my general um, spiel would be to say that you were and are a writer for the Dodgers and the Angel. I mean, were you basically just local baseball for the LA Times? No, it's a fairly long story. I actually started with the Long Beach paper covering the Angels from the first year 
the American League expanded into Los Angeles. Oh, okay. That was a bit in 1961. Yeah. And I covered the Angels for Long Beach paper until 68, uh, shortly after Connie and I were married. And uh, I had an offer to go to the L.A. Times. Okay. Uh, which I took. And over the years there, of more than 40 years, I uh, covered both the Dodgers and Angels, mm -hmm. traveled with them at different times. Uh, and then the paper in early 90s uh, made me the uh, national baseball columnist. Okay. So I, I didn't travel quite as much, but I still went to big events, and I still did opinion pieces on the Dodgers and Angels. Right, so, right. Uh, retired in 2004. Oh, you retired in 04? Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. But you were, I mean, you still are doing stuff here and there. I, uh, I still do a blog on occasion. Mm -hmm. um, and I still do occasional freelance pieces. You know, if a magazine calls and say, would you be interested in doing a story on so-and-so? And, or a newspaper uh, calls and says, Hey, we're not standing a writer out on this trip with our team. Mm -hmm. uh, would you be available to cover a series or a couple games? Okay. We'll give your blog address so everybody can go and find you there. What is the address for the blog? Uh, Newhan on baseball at blogspot. Dot com and you can find yeah. it on Facebook as well, right? Then right, I okay. usually post it on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. Okay. It's a new world, you know. Yeah, you've got to be on, on all of the different social medias. Right. Yeah, yes. I know that very well. And you were uh, officially brought into the Baseball Writers Hall of Fame? Well, what happens is there's uh, a group, a body, uh, Baseball Writers Association of America. Mm -hmm. And they are, they've, pretty much vote on MVP, Cy Young, mm -hmm. uh, anything dealing with press box access, clubhouse access. Uh, and each year uh, they honor one of their own mm. uh, uh, with what's called the Johnson Spink Award. Okay. Uh, Johnson Spink was the first and publisher of the Sporting News huh. and for many years the publisher of the Sporting News. And that award is uh, given out in Cooperstown hmm. during the induction weekend. Oh, cool. Uh, so it's pretty nice honor. Yeah. And I was voted the award in 2001. Or, oh, okay. Pardon me, 2000. And then the ceremony was in 2001. And, uh, you know, it's nice when your peers oh, yeah. honor you in such a way. And the induction was certainly pretty special. Yeah. I mean, uh, to be on the same po podium with uh, Kirby Puckett and Dave Winfield oh, and Bill Mazeroski, yeah. who were all going, quote, into the hall at the same time. Yeah. So uh, oh, that, was, awesome. that was great. And I had a lot of family and friends there. So Yeah, that's cool. Uh, someday I've got to make it to Cooperstown. Hasn't happened yet. Yeah, it's a special place. Yeah. Uh, Terrific little village, yeah, uh, on a beautiful lake, yeah, in up, up, upper New York. You know, we forget yeah. how beautiful New York is. Oh yeah, images of 
New York City. Right, <laughs> right, right. Uh, with the uh, concrete jungle, you yes, kind of forget ex- that there's exact, other stuff there. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, you guys listened to that intro that I recorded, so I don't have to say try and say the same thing with Ross for a second time because I know I won't be able to do it. So, Ross, I, f- I feel like you probably have a treasure trove of stories that will never be told and then a treasure trove of stories that maybe haven't been told but should be told. <laughs> but you started basically when the angels started out here and what was that like when they when that began here in Southern California in general? Well, the whole thing was fairly bizarre in the sense that, you know, subsequent expansion teams like Colorado and Arizona had a year or two of time to prepare mm-hmm. to get ready for the for their expansion drafts and uh, to prepare for spring training, to to find a spring training base, yeah, and to uh, sort out their major league playing opportunities, yeah. Uh, in the Angels' case, the American League expanded in well, they had their expansion meeting in December, mm-hmm. and that's when Gene Autry and Bob Reynolds, his partner in the radio business Mm -hmm. were awarded the franchise in LA. Mm -hmm. And that was a story in itself in that the expansion meeting was in St. Louis. And uh, at that time, the American league really had no idea who the owner of this team was going to be. Yeah. The rumors, over previous years had been that Bill Veck, you know, the legendary showman, and Hank Greenberg would become owners of an American League team in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the history of it was that O'Malley, who had great, as owner of the Dodgers, had great weight behind the scenes in owners, mm-hmm. in the owner's uh, uh, cubicle, and was totally against the showman of Vex's history coming into his market mm-hmm. in L.A. And, and so there was this, here was the American League going to expand in L.A., but who, were the, who was the owner going to be? Mm-hmm. And Autry owned a network of radio stations, including KMPC in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. which broadcast all of the major uh, sports teams in, mm-hmm. the, in L.A., the two college teams and the Dodgers. But O'Malley again played a role in that he had a summer home in Lake Arrowhead and was unable to pick up KMPC broadcasts in the mountains. <laughs> yeah. And so he was going to drop KMPC and move to a, another station. And so Autry had this void in, in, in the baseball business. And since there was going to be an American League team in LA, he went there right. to talk with whoever got the ownership. And 
Joe Cronin, who was the American League president, a longtime friend of Gene's, yeah. invited him into the suite and say, Gene, have you ever thought of becoming the owner yourself? Yeah, yeah. And uh, Autry, a longtime baseball f- fan mm-hmm. uh, who once envisioned playing shortstop for oh, really? his St. Louis Cardinals, huh. uh, said, talk to Reynolds, his partner in the radio business, Bob yeah. Reynolds, and uh, said, well, okay. <laughs> but here he was with a new team in a new league. And it's December, and they have to go to spring training oh, gosh. in early February. Yeah. They don't know where. They don't have any bats or balls or players. <laughs> or coaches or, or ma- anything. managers or coaches. Yeah. And the first thing Autry does was hire, uh, well, two things. He hires Fred Haney, who had been broadcasting major league games for a few years, mm-hmm. and who had been the successful manager of the Milwaukee Braves hmm. at that time mm-hmm. uh, as general manager. And Haney and Autry offered the manager's job to Casey Stengel. Oh, really? Uh, who was no longer managing the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And Stengel said, I'd love it. And he was a Southern California guy mm-hmm. living in Glendale. I'd love it, but he had a book arrangement with Look Magazine that had a clause that said, until the book comes out, you can't go back into baseball. And so Autry had to go in another direction, and Haney and he, ultimately they went to Bill Rigney, who had the previous year been fired as the San Francisco Giants manager Hmm. after a long career as a player with the Giants Mm -hmm. and a manager both in New York and after the team moved to San Francisco. And Rigney uh, had connections as well uh, throughout baseball and uh, was able to get scouting reports from different teams and from his acquaintances. Mm -hmm. Um, And that enabled the Angels to... Uh, do some early preparatory work for an expansion draft that was only weeks away. And through all of this, they've ultimately decided on Palm Springs as a training base. And, yeah. You know, it was all done in a six-week, wow. eight-week window. Wow. Uh, Autry becoming the manager, hiring Haney, hiring Rigney. Yeah. Uh, deciding on Palm Springs, working on an agreement with O'Malley to play in yeah. uh, Wrigley Field. Uh, because when the Dodgers moved to L.A., uh, they had territorial rights. Yeah. So they had to make a deal with o- O'Malley. Oh, my gosh. The first of their many deals with O'Malley. Right, right, yeah. To play in Wrigley wow. for a year and then move to the new O'Malley's new stadium in Chavez Ravine. So uh, that whole part of the history is is really a, a story of strange yeah. uh, circumstances. That sounds like a whirlwind of fun. Yeah. And did they start, did they know that they were building the Big A there in Anaheim no. all that time? Or? No. Okay. Uh, 
No, it was only after the first couple years mm-hmm. in Wrigley and Dodger Stadium mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, Autry had been told by many baseball people, you know, two teams can't survive in the same state. Yeah. Impossible. So he had started to look around at possible sites for his own club. And I think first centered on Long Beach, mm-hmm. the El Dorado Park area, uh, which was near the 605 freeway mm-hmm. and other conduits. And uh, Long Beach had some Tideland oil money that during the initial conversations seemed like it would be available to help build a stadium, but then through more legal problems, uh, the Thailand money wasn't available for an indoor, uh, inland project. So uh, Long Beach didn't work out, and uh, Autry um, was a friend of Walt Disney, mm-hmm. and Disney was on the early board of the Angels. Hmm. And Disney, of course, had just found and opened Disneyland right. in Very Orange County, yeah. nearby, and and the angel lawyers and everybody had uh, read a Stanford commissioned report on how Orange County was going to be this tremendous growth area. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they set their sights on Hmm. uh, the Anaheim area where there was orange fields and virtually nothing except Disneyland. Yeah. I mean, literally Orange County, he had his pick of almost, I mean, at that time of if yeah providing you could buy the land and right you know it's mainly mainly agricultural yeah and uh, owned by various people who are into agriculture and farming so then they end up landing there in anaheim going through 67 was first year quite a number of like you were saying many roster moves and turnovers During that period after moving to Anaheim. Yeah. uh, Yeah. History of the Angels is dotted with frustration. Yeah. Uh, And the present of the Angels is dotted with frustration. Present is a a different type (laughs) story. Yes. Yes. But poor Gene, I mean, this great baseball fan and amid all of the frustrations, he kept coming back and never losing his desire to Mm -hmm. try and build something. Yeah. But there were so many mistakes over the 70s, 60s, 70s, so many poor moves, uh, you know, so many managerial changes and front office changes. Yeah. And that there was never really any continuity Mm -hmm. uh, for a long period. And, uh, you know, it's, it's... it's too bad. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it to this day, they've only won a World Series once. once yeah. And uh, been to the World Series only once. Yeah. Who was their first bankable or big star? Well, I mean, had, even Nolan Ryan, when they even, got him, wasn't well, really the star that he would be or that he, I mean, it wasn't like we just got Nolan Ryan tantamount to somebody picking up Clayton Kershaw right now. It was, I mean, he was a very good pitcher, but not really a superstar at that point. Was it, was he? No, I, 
when Ryan came to the Air Angels, he had this reputation of being uh, one of the hardest throwers in baseball, but pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, people didn't know whether he'd ever tame that wildness. Mm-hmm. So, Which he did, yeah, to an extent. He, I mean, he was he always did. the walk and strikeout walk, leader. But he had some... Uh, Tom Morgan, who was the pitching coach of the Angels at the time, he and Ryan really got along well. Yeah, uh, Ryan to this day will credit Tom for oh, really? much of the uh, success that followed. Uh, and Norm Sherry, who had, as a catcher in the Dodgers system, had helped Koufax tame his wildness, hmm. was for a time the the uh, manager of the Angels. Oh, okay, and I think contributed to Ryan's development. Mm-hmm. But like you say, uh, it didn't happen overnight. Right. And while he had some tremendous strikeout seasons with the Angels yeah. and became a world-class no-hitter pitcher, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, 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 their wildness was still there and in some ways worked to his advantage because guys were scared. <laughs> were n- never sure whether they should dig in or not. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, yeah, but he, I mean, he set broke major league strikeout records, oh, 350, yeah. 70 strikeouts yeah. a season and a great guy along with it. Yeah. I mean, one of the best I ever met. Oh yeah. He seemed like a very mellow, I mean, not obviously not on, on the field, but he, he just didn't seem very, he just kind of seemed like one of those kind of low key guys yeah, he, in, in the dugout very and, competitive of course yeah and uh but but in some ways a homespun texan who never forgot his alvin texas roots yeah and uh always went back to the farm but a dedicated workaholic yeah i mean no one worked harder than nola did over the years yeah it, uh it showed in the length of his career mm-hmm. and my gosh, seven no hitters and every yeah. strikeout record that goes along with it. And the Angels, you know, we I mentioned mistakes over the years. Mm-hmm. I mean, letting Ryan leave as a free agent after the '79 season ranks pretty high up. There. Pretty high. I'm, yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> and it's sad. I mean, being a proclaimed very large Nolan Ryan fan. It was always sad watching him and frustrating, you know, watching him pitch for the Astros that really just, it couldn't really put anything much together around him. I mean, they had that one year that they, they reached the playoffs with him. Yeah. And it was one of the great playoff series with the Mets. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and him and Mike Scott, and, and they, I mean, you know, they had the killer bees, right. exactly. and that was kind of their one shot at it. Otherwise, Houston, I mean, they were a pretty fair, small markety kind of feel team to them, and, right. and they just couldn't really put anything together, and then him going to the Rangers, and yes. uh, I mean, that was, an, that was kind of a weird time for that team. Um, because they had the youth coming up, and I think they were just kind of too all over the place, really, to be able to piece anything together. Yes. I mean, they had Pudge and Juan Gonzalez, Juan who would Gonzalez. hit almost anything out of the park. Right. 
Yes. Who who was basically their Vladimir Guerrero, <laughs> sort of. That's right. Pretty wild swinger. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh, going back to the guys that you had more familiarity with, was there was there a lot of guys who really kind of stick out in your mind as being people who maybe didn't get the the praise and respect that they should have gotten as guys um, on the field or off the field in the Dodger or Angel organization? Well, again, going back to those early years with the Angels, mm-hmm. uh, mentioned Dean Chance and Dean's great pal during those years, Bo Belinsky. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bo came to the Angels uh, from the Baltimore organization uh, with a reputation of being one of the harder throwers mm-hmm. and uh, with a great arm, uh, but not much of a head, uh, sort of a Jersey pool sharp, sharky, yeah. and uh, started his angel career in 62 with a 5 0 record, including a no hitter mm-hmm. against Baltimore one night in May of. Huh. 62 against Baltimore at Dodger Stadium. And that was pretty much the highlight for Bo. Yeah. I mean, there was too much nightlife and too many pretty girls. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Coming many, from Baltimore to Southern California basically right. did him many, in. Too many cherry red Cadillacs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and he, and uh, Chance the farm boy from Ohio Mm -hmm. was drawn into that world. Yeah. And there were as many headlines for off the field stuff as there were for accomplishments on the field. Yeah. And so neither of those careers that might've been were, and particularly in Chance's case, because he really had tremendous ability Mm -hmm. as, as uh, signified by his Cy Young, Neither of those careers accomplished what I guess they should have. Um, those two stick out from the '60s, mm-hmm. probably more than more than anything of the players I covered. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I consider myself very fortunate I, with the Dodgers and with the Angels. Uh, covered a lot of terrific players, yeah, and terrific personalities, yeah. Uh, and who are some of those kind of top of the chart guys that come to your mind? Well, certainly with the Dodgers, when I began to cover the Dodgers regularly in the early 70s, mm-hmm. I I consider myself fortunate that I caught the last years of Walt Alston's tenure as manager mm-hmm. because he was a terrific guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, this big, strong personality who didn't allow any anything to disrupt the team. Mm-hmm. The memorable story about Walt is that uh, the team was on a bus in Pittsburgh coming from the airport to their hotel, and players were complaining about the lack of an air conditioning on the bus. Mm-hmm. And Alston told, instructed the bus driver to stop the bus, and he stood up and said, I'm going to get off the bus. And anybody who wants to complain about the air, air conditioning can get off and come face me. <laughs> and nobody chose to do that. 
he didn't brook any anything, yeah. and yet, you know, he was known as the silent man, the quiet yeah. man. Yeah. And uh, but very strong personality, and managed the Dodgers, you know, from being hired to as Walt who mm-hmm. to a Hall of Fame yeah. tenure, including many championships. Yeah. Uh, so I was uh, felt uh, fortunate to catch his last years mm-hmm. as manager. And during that time, Tommy Lasorda's early years as first a coach under Walt mm-hmm. and then the manager and the period in which that infield, the iron infield, you know, Russell and yeah. Lopes and Garvey. Uh, started to play regularly for the team, you know, and along with they brought in uh, some great veterans, Jimmy Wynn, uh, Reggie Smith, Dusty Baker, mm-hmm. terrific guys. And that was, I feel very fortunate those years were really good years yeah. and very competitive years with uh, some div- great division races yeah. with the big red machine in Cincinnati. And that, too, was a tremendous team to write about and a great clubhouse, uh, you know, with Sparky as the manager and uh, Pete Rose and Joe Morgan and Johnny Bench and Tony Perez. I mean, a reporter could go in that clubhouse with an empty notebook and come out Fifteen minutes later, full. Yeah, with a notebook full. Yeah, you know. Yeah, the seven. I have a book on my nightstands that's is about seventies baseball, and I mean that was the baseball that I. I remember the eighties obviously better than the seventies because of my age, but um, still some of the some of the players and years and teams during the seventies was just it was just very unique. I think it was, it was a really different time for the sport and um, seeing some, obviously the comparison to now and then is you can't make it, but some of the teams and the units that played together and how strong they were uh, is right. Always nice well, to look period, back on, you know, basically before free agency. Right. So there was a little more stability, a little less player movement. Always trades, but not the overall movement that you see nowadays. Yeah, which is uh, why we celebrate some of those guys who actually stay with a team for so long, which wasn't absolutely so unique. I mean, one team, yes, is will always be unique, but um, not these guys who are on, you know, seven different teams in seven different years or whatever. Right, right. Um so what do you think of the game now and in general, especially I was talking with somebody about this the other day with the new commissioner and the make baseball fun again, quoting idea and all of these things that look like a couple of years down the road may eventually be much bigger changes than replay and you know, putting the clock in on um, in between pitcher changes and whatever. Or, or do you think that the game really needs like these drastic make baseball fun again changes or? Well, I'd take it back a few years uh, to the ceiling tenure uh, and 
to the realization by the owners that they were never going to get a players union to agree to a salary cap. Mm -hmm. So all those work stoppages over the years when they tried to force a salary cap were wasted opportunities to grow the game. Mm -hmm. And eventually after the 94 shutdown, I think Selig brokered an agreement among the owners that one, we have to work with the players union. Mm -hmm. We can't be at war with them anymore. Uh, Two, the big market owners have to agree in time to some form of revenue sharing Mm -hmm. with the smaller market teams. And those two big developments and further expansion, when uh, Bud turned over the reins to Rob Manford, baseball economically and growth-wise was booming. They'd had... They've had 20 years or so of labor peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, revenues are approaching $10 billion a year. Attendance never been higher. Mm-hmm. The website and merchandising around the world is heading off the charts. Yeah. So the game is, is pretty strong. So when Manford and then Bud, to an extent, before he step down and now Manford with changes. I think they have to be careful. Yeah. I think replay has been a good move. I mean, when you see how many calls are overturned, right. You uh, know, it's good. You wonder where's it been all these (laughs) years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, you know, with the pace of game becoming a, a big issue and clocks in every stadium timing, pitching visits by coaches Mm -hmm. and uh, the time between innings. um, I don't know. I don't know that the game should be rushed along. You know, I go back 50 years, my roots in baseball. So I'm, if, if I'm an old timer and a traditionalist, I am, but I'm willing to accept changes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the latest now with Manford talking about uh, perhaps limiting the use of relief pitchers yeah. and having relief pitchers throw not just to one batter, to more batters, to, you know, he has to face multiple batters. Right. I, it just seems like you're tampering with the integrity a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if that's going to fly, but I think Rob is, is dedicated to, pushing it and seeing discussion isn't bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you think he's kind of maybe throwing some of the stuff out to give it the opportunity. Give it the and, opportunity yeah, for, for everybody to speak for the up. the union, mm-hmm. for owners, uh, for general managers uh, to speak up. And uh, under both Bud and Rob, I think that job that was caught in the middle often between the union and ownership, mm-hmm. the, ge- the position of general manager. Those guys have been given a bigger voice. I think they were important in replay and, and in various ways. Yeah. And they were very important in bringing about the second wild card in both leagues, mm-hmm. you know, because they didn't want, they were tired of seeing the wild card be able to throw their very best pitcher in the first game of a series with a division winner. Yeah. Uh, so now there's this one 
game playoff between the two wild cards, in which they both have to use up a quality pitcher yeah. before going against the division winner. Yeah. So, what do you think of that one game play in? And as well, with be better as a three game, but then yeah, I know you rush into you face. I believe uh, here's another major change. I believe, and it's gotten some conversation, but I don't think ownership will ever agree. The mm-hmm. owners will ever agree to shortening the regular season, yeah, by eight games. Yeah, or so. go back to 154 games. Yeah, schedule which would allow a greater breadth throughout the regular season. Right. Some of these travel uh, itineraries that the clubs have. Oh, it's crazy. Now are crazy. Right. And especially as a Red Sox fan, the recent Detroit Red Sox series was silly. I mean, them having to go in and play a one o'clock afternoon game after finishing up a game, which, for all intents and purposes, you know, could have been an extra inning game. They could have right. gotten like in well, to Detroit asked, after 5 a.m. Asked Detroit to push back the time. Yeah. The Tigers said no. Yeah. There was a big beef on that, a discussion right. on. Right. And, uh, well, you've, if you looked at every team schedule, there's one of those. Yeah. For everybody. Bizarre. Yeah. Absolutely bizarre. So, and, and the other thing I think, and I, for a long time, I felt, Oh, it didn't matter if one team league had the designated hitter and the other team didn't. Mm-hmm. But now with an interleague game, 15 teams in each league with an interleague game every night, uh, it just seems it just seems like it makes sense to go one way or the other. Yeah. And American League teams especially, because they go to spring training with the intent of having right. a designated hitter that that position is very valuable. To yeah. Them. Now they have to give it up when they play in it. They're at a major disadvantage. Yeah. Uh, also as a Red Sox fan, something that I experience every time because we have to watch is Poppy going to sit or is he going to play first base and potentially fall and shatter into a million pieces? Yes. So, yeah, it's uh, so where do you fall on that? DH or no DH? <laughs> Um, it's the million dollar I've always liked sometimes. the National League game. Yeah. But uh, I think there's more chance for strategy. Right. Uh, more opportunity for bunting and hit and running. And, yeah. Uh, is this the time to pinch it for the pitcher? Yeah. That kind of that kind of double switch strategy. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that the designated hitter role is so ingrained and so important to the union because these guys make some of the biggest salaries Yeah, that uh, I think it's a no go give it, trying to convince the American league and trying to convince the union to get give rid it of up. that. Yeah. Yeah. As a, as a typical, I mean, I've, I've had my national league dalliances of liking national league teams. And I, I do like the, strategy that they're having to do and whatnot but also obviously if they are trying to make the game more fun more offense faster and talking about cutting out like some of even looking at the idea of cutting down anything on relief pitchers clearly everybody would lean towards 
a DH across the board, as well as not having to potentially have pitchers get injured on the base paths, you know, have to at bat, have at bats at all. Um, right. I think that if that was something that was to truly come up, that would probably be, and I think I could live with everybody having a DH, I guess. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see who would become, you know, if that was to happen at the end of this year, it would be interesting to see the scramble by national league teams as, or, or guys who are learning, you're no longer a position player. You're a DH now. Right. Uh, but Union would love to see it. Yeah. Uh, it open more jobs. Yeah. For guys who. For guys who are on the fringe, perhaps. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's just talk about the Angels' current situation, Ross. Okay. Because this is very serious, very important, very dire as somebody who is not an Angels fan, but who pays attention to all teams, and especially I have to know everything about the Angels because they're very close to me geographically, and all my friends are Angels fans, so I have to be able to harass them with intelligence. I can't just, you know, chide them for no reason. But what are they? what have they been doing? How are they going to possibly get themselves out of this hole. Talk to me about the idea of trading Mike Trout for to restore your system. And how long do you think it's going to be before they actually, aside from winning their division by default, because they're in the West and, you know, Seattle has kind of put pushes at it, but it doesn't really look like they're really ever going to be a true powerhouse. Same with Oakland unless they pull off some kind of Billy Bean miracle again. I mean, it's really kind of Houston and Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're always going to kind of have some semblance of a chance. But the hole that they have put themselves in with uh, year, almost year after year, I would say, of a not smart signing that puts them in a financial hole. What do you think of them, of their outlook? Well, I don't think it can be measured in terms of the last year, the last two years. Right, it goes back. It goes back. Yeah. It goes back to some serious mistakes. I don't mean to put you on the spot to make you talk about about the angels, by the way. No, I'm... You're retired. I have no problem (laughs) talking about the angels. Um, You know, some bad money spent in the wrong places. Mm -hmm. Uh, If it two moves that really hurt and they came almost the same time. Mm -hmm. One was the year that Adrian Beltre was a free agent. Mm -hmm. The went that winter. Yeah. When they were so close to a deal. Yeah. And backed away because they weren't going to give him one more year. Yeah. And here he is a hall of fame player. Right. Uh, In your own division. In their own division, yeah. playing a position that has been a merry-go-round. Yeah, uh, it's it's still on. Yeah. Uh, then uh, trading Mike Napoli, mm-hmm. who's uh, I think Mike uh, Sosha didn't feel he'd ever been be a dependable catcher. Right. And here he has gone on to a remarkable career yeah. for 
winner after winner and and this year or with Cleveland. Yeah. He uh, had he had some downtime, but he's still yes, he, along the way has. Uh, but he's still I would still take him over a number of other players. Right. And they, and they traded him for Vernon Wells, which was another player in the twilight. Right. And and big money. Yeah. Who uh, major obligation yeah. never did anything with the Angels. And uh, a subsequent signing of Gary Matthews yeah. Jr. for five years and $50 million. Yeah. Who, uh, who had a career year career and, year and one great catch. Yeah. You're <laughs> you exactly, exactly right. Yeah. And never did anything with no. the Angels. Remarkable. And they had to pay him. I mean, he wasn't even playing. But the guys that they've been paying to play on other teams and not play at all is where it gets to an, a level of absurdity. Right. So if you take all those moves as perhaps a mid-2000, mm-hmm. 206 onward, mm-hmm. 207 onward, a starting point or a foundation of bad money yeah. spent and bad money not spent. Uh, and then you mix in what has happened with... Uh, what has happened with the signing of C.J. Wilson, the Pujol signing? Hamilton. The Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, signing. It's just they've tied themselves financially, tied up themselves financially. And also many of those signings carried the loss of draft choice. Yeah. They've got their so the system. farm system just collapsed yeah again with some poor people in charge uh and, and Artie Marino as the bottom line mm-hmm. uh the guy in charge I don't understand some of the decisions mm-hmm. I mean particularly later on the Hamilton decision is made no sense yeah he already had big monies committed to pools and Wilson and still Wells and, at that point and Weaver. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Money to players who were no longer right. in the system or yeah. even playing baseball. Yeah. Uh, so now you come up to this year with no farm system mm-hmm. and still committed to pool still in the last year of CJ Wilson mm-hmm. last year, probably of Weaver. And it, it, you have this vacuum in left field in a year where there were a bumper crop of free agent mm-hmm. possibilities and say you're not going to go over the pay anymore because you don't want to go over the luxury tax yeah. threshold, I think was a real stumper. I yeah. mean, how you do it. And look, no team can live with the loss of those starting pitchers. Right. They've, they've had massive injuries. Yeah. He, he and he goes down. Yeah. And, uh, Skaggs. Is still not totally yeah. back. Uh, it, it'd be hard to live with those. But the team on the field, I mean, revolving towards second base. Yeah. Uh, nobody in left field. Third baseman can't field the ball. Pretty good offensive player, but can't field the ball. Yeah. Uh, catching has been another, another revolving round. door. Yeah. Yeah. So, boy, I don't know where they're going. Uh, you know, and still 
they're not going to get much uh, minor league help next year. They haven't rebuilt it to any uh, appreciable level. Yeah. And also, the free agent crop next year isn't isn't great. Not like this year. Yeah. Not like the previous winter. I mean. Yeah. And so, there's not a lot of apparent help. And so, would you trade <laughs> Mike Trout? Yeah, that's uh, the that's with all of that. My answer is no. Okay. You can't get. You can't get a whole team for just get, Mike Trout. No, and you can't get even close to right. value. Right. You know, it's last big. year and the year before were the mistakes because, you know, you had Pujols still productive to a certain degree. Yeah. And this young, tremendous player in Trout, and you didn't add to the mix. Right. So... And when is his when is Trout's contract? I up? think he has, he's got about four more years. Okay. So, I mean, they're gonna in in my from my outlook on what they have, which is not much at all coming up. I mean they they really have to be able to luck out and find a team that really has it out for one of their players that really wants somebody and is going to maybe overpay for them, or it's going to be four to five years. And then you're at the end of Mike Trout's contract and you're having to pay him huge money and still try to build a team around him. And that's when you're, I mean, so much money was back ended on Pujols but at least, I mean, you're you're also at least you're getting out from underneath Wilson's money, out from Hamilton's money. There is going to be some money there, but there's so much that has to happen. I've Lots I to told be. somebody the other day it's 2020, maybe <laughs> is a 2020 2021, yeah. barring like I said, like getting just by the sheer luck of the draw winning well, your I don't division. Even, I don't even know who you trade. Right. To acquire major talent. Yeah. You, uh, Calhoun, perhaps Calhoun. bring a pitcher. Yeah. Uh, but uh, then what? <laughs> right. Then you've lost some of your. You, right. Yeah. The, it's I mean, it's a vicious cycle right now until they start producing players in the system. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's the Dodgers, scary. by contrast, have done pretty have well. done remarkably. Yeah. I mean, at a time of turnover, they've held on to their premier prospects yeah, yeah and managed to still win at the major league level yeah uh, if they can get kershaw back healthy they got a real shot now. yeah i know there was all that talk about uh a rod potentially possibly going there right uh, you think he's done think playing i do yeah yes i do yeah i don't think miami's interested and i don't know anybody else that would be so it would be kind of funny barry bonds being the Hitting yeah. coach for a rod, yeah, maybe fitting in some right other world. You'd um, have the king of steroids, yeah, both of them. the two kings, yeah, yeah. So segueing into that, what is your feeling on all of that Hall of Fame wise? Well, I mean, do you, I've explained uh, many times and asked that question, yeah, uh, that I come at it from a different perspective, uh, in the sense that. My son played Major League Bell, and I'm convinced didn't cheat uh, and possibly lost job opportunities to guys who did cheat. Right. Uh, so I 
have very little patience yeah. when the discussion centers on the Hall of Fame for Bonds and Clemens, yeah. and where there's what seems to be beyond circumstantial evidence that right. they used right. and benefited from that use. I don't know. I I give Bonds a lot of credit for being, boy, a tremendous hitter. You still before, have to put, yeah, and before, but even amid the steroid use, uh, you still have to put bat on ball. Yeah, it wasn't just I home think runs. because of his added strength and mm-hmm. size. I uh, he was able to continue at a level, yeah, which you wouldn't expect because of the steroids, yeah, or whatever. The cream, uh, <laughs> yeah. What whatever made his head and neck that big? That big, yeah. <laughs> and there were some guys who ballooned pretty quickly. Yeah, Sammy Sosa. Oh gosh. Uh, but to answer your question, at this point, I I have not brought myself to voting for those guys. Yes. Yeah. Okay, Pete Rose. Uh I think, as many have said, that if. Pete had acknowledged at the start what he, what did. he did. Yeah. You know, threw himself on the court initially. He'd have still been suspended. Yeah. But there was there'd be a much greater chance that he'd be back and in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. But he has done little to redirect his life. Right. Uh, you know, operating basically out of Vegas as a Autograph Memorabilia sh- shuckster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, he's done little in on behalf of his own cause. Yeah. And it's a shame. Posthumous, you think? He was a great player. Oh, God, yeah. He great was so hitter. fun to watch. Tremendous approach the game every way you want a player to yeah. approach it. Last player manager, right? And there he is. He's, he was the last one as the, as to have that dual role. I believe so. Do you think anybody will ever do that again? I doubt it. Yeah. That's... I think too much money is involved in yeah. the game. And... Yeah. Um, and too many good players. Yeah. Do you think posthumously he'll get in? No. No? You I think... just don't think there's a chance. Now. Yeah. I don't see under any commissioner. Or yeah. Under, I don't know what the. Benefit. benefit. I, yeah. I. I don't know. I think it's too late for. For any sympathy towards him? Yeah, any sympathy. Pete, why'd you do it? Yeah. So tying into that, it came out last year that Major League Baseball was one of the, I don't know, shareholders or uh, beneficiaries or whatever of those gambling sites, DraftKings and all of that. Is that hypocritical of them? Strikes me it is. Uh, yeah, I just, I don't understand the relationship. Yeah. And it's not like that's the only source of income. Right. Uh, their game is booming. Yeah. And uh, revenues have never been this big. It's a tenuous relationship. At yeah. Best. I mean, you, you know, you can recall, okay, Rose is certainly a perfect segue. And like you mentioned, and... Go back to Madeline Mays not yeah. being allowed to be frontman for casinos in Atlantic City. Yeah. Uh, so many numerous incidents you can cite where that relationship 
hasn't been allowed now to do business with. uh, They can paint it any way they want as, well, it's harmless. It's still gambling. It's still a game, but it's still gambling. Yes. So I I don't quite get it. Yeah. So now that there's about to be football in Las Vegas, do you think there will ever be baseball in Las Vegas? I I just don't see it happening. I and I just wonder. I guess the population base is now stable enough. It's not strictly, you know, visitor all casino or, right oriented. Uh, that perhaps it could work, and it might work even as a tourist attraction. Yeah, but I just. It would have to be in a dome. Yes. There's no way it could be an outdoor Not stadium. In the summer. No. No. So that would be a, a whole different. Domes don't seem to really do that well in baseball. Not for some with reason. a permanent dome. Yeah. You know, you might have some of the retractable Right. Roofs Rogers Center's are, done okay. Or which isn't decent. You know, and the one in Seattle, yeah. Safeco is an attractive stadium where yeah. it works. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I'd be very skeptical about Vegas yeah. uh, ever getting approved. Yeah. You know, if anything, I think they'd go back to Montreal. Montreal next, right? Yeah. Montreal next. And I don't know geographically whether they could do Mexico City. Uh, I've, I've driven by some baseball stadiums in Mexico, and um, I know it's huge down there, and Fernando Mania probably still Fernando's probably pitching right now somewhere down in Mexico. Yeah, that's a possibility, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> yes, I Angels played some exhibitions in Mexico City in the yeah. early years that I went to and uh, <laughs> was huge or yeah, they yeah. drew big crowds in very poor stadiums. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. I'm you sure. You know, uh, rickety old wooden ballparks. Yeah. So. I mean, that would have to be the first, you know. Right. And there's the comp economy that's stable in yeah. Mexico. I can't imagine all of the traveling and everything and right. and what that would mean to players that were, I mean, you talk about the players who are paid in the north of the border teams, how that would differentiate yeah. with the players who are in Mexico. Montreal uh, is a real shame because in those early years, Going with the Dodgers up there, mm-hmm. they played in the small Jerry Park. The atmosphere was electric. Yeah, uh, you know, and then having to go into that awful stadium, right, built for the Olympics. You know, it was yeah. just a concrete house. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was. A, it was really a, a shame. Well, it seems uh, like it's huge. Whenever they play those couple of games up there during the season. They haven't done that yet this year, I don't think. Um, no, I don't believe they did. But last year and the year before, it seemed like, I mean, it was just crazy. Right. So maybe they'll get that. Yeah, I think the base is still there, and yeah. the interest is still there. Yeah. If they can find a way economically to build a stadium up there. build yeah. a stadium, but, you know, does the horse come before the cart? Or right, right. the horse, yeah. so... I don't think there's any realistic hint that baseball plans to expand yeah. in the near, near future. So yeah. They can talk about it, but right. I don't think it's on anybody's horizon. Um, okay, top five stadiums. Now? Yeah. We'll do now and we'll do past. 
Why don't you do past first and then we'll, well do now? Well, uh, past and now, I mean, Wrigley and Wrigley Field and Chicago and yeah. Fenway and Boston yeah. are in a different class. Oh, yeah. And I, I think when I go to Dodger Stadium today, I, I have a greater f- feel for the place that it is mm-hmm. uh, than maybe it's been credited with over these years. But mm-hmm. I think historically now, it's recognized. Historically now, it's recognized as, I think, one of the best. Yeah. Uh, it's still beautiful. I mean, to sit in the upper deck there and look out at those hills. Oh, and, yeah. It's uh, in a very pretty summer. location. Yeah. Um, and, and to be honest, I haven't seen a couple of the newer stadiums. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen Pittsburgh in everybody's oh, okay. sites. Yeah, Pittsburgh. everybody says that one's beautiful. I have been to San Francisco quite a few times, mm-hmm. and I, I think you'd have to put AT&T yeah. up at the top. Again, largely on the basis of the vista and the, right. it's the surroundings. Uh, atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah, and the surroundings and, uh, you know, shoehorned in a, into a very small area. Yeah. And done very well. Uh, so... Everybody claims Pittsburgh is terrific. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been there. Mm-hmm. I haven't been to Detroit. Uh, oh, you haven't been to Detroit? No. Get no. your son on the phone. <laughs> what is going on? Right. I've, we've seen him, visited him in other places, but yeah. we haven't made it to Detroit. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which I've heard is, I, I've actually, some people were talking on Twitter um, just the other day that I was paying attention to th- that were complimenting it up and down and saying same kind of thing that it's nestled in a really nice, um, area downtown and has right. a great feel to it. So oh, David, if you're listening to this, make it happen. <laughs> right. So yeah, those are ones that I've heard about too. Yeah. Comerica and, uh, PNC is Pittsburgh Park even still called that PNC Park. I think it has a different name, doesn't it? It probably does. Because even, I think, when I went to the Astros ballpark, it was Minute Maid at that point. But it's not Minute Maid anymore. No, it's got another name. And I've been to Houston, and Houston's a nice park. I liked that. It was was nice walking. I don't know. I kind of liked the way it was situated in between buildings. Just because I'm so used to... Anaheim Stadium that isn't kind of that way. It was nice to see that whole downtown kind of feel. As a visiting writer, probably the best access. I mean, you walk in the stadium and you're virtually in the press box. Oh, yeah. And then easy access to the clubhouses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very nice stadium. And I went to a game at Petco just the other day in San Diego. Yeah. And they've done a, you know, really good job. Yeah. Part of the whole downtown's rebirth, in, right? In in San Diego, yeah, they've been doing probably good things. the best uh, big screen board that, yeah. that I've seen anywhere. Yeah, just fabulous replays. Yeah, Cleveland, I was actually really impressed with. I didn't think I. I it took me two to three years of going to Cleveland very consistently to finally be there when the Indians were there and. I spent probably half the game just walking around the stadium because it was just so wide open and so nice. And um, the views from so many different areas yeah. were really beautiful. It is and a nice stadium. even yeah. the outfield part was really nice and open. I don't know. I, 
I was surprised. Uh, I didn't think it was going to be that nice. Too bad it's in Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If they could just move that I stadium. Uh, Cleveland jokes are passe. Sorry, Cleveland. Uh, that's my last uh, interview was with a musician who we were. He's a big Pittsburgh sports fan, and we spent a little bit of time talking about the bane of Cleveland sports and uh, being a fan of any of yeah, their teams. Like really, they've got a good shot at a division title at least. Yeah, the Indians after a remarkable NBA season. Yeah, I'm. Yeah. They could have a double. I mean, anything's possible. They could have two winners. Yeah, I wouldn't could. say that the Browns have any shot, but no. Um, <laughs> hey. There was a a longtime baseball writer out of New York named uh, Leonard Schechter, uh-huh. who wrote a book on the game and his experience in baseball. Mm-hmm. And he wrote that he knew it was time to give up the baseball beat when he had memorized the menu at the Minute Chef in Cleveland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's been so there a little too that's much. That's a good sign. Yeah. Um, good indication. Well, with Francona at the helm, yeah. they're in very they good, good hands people. and they've yeah. got some. He's brought a lot of his old Boston people in there. Yes. I I love Francona and I miss him as a manager. Right. Um, that was a shame what um, happened in Boston. That was horrible. Yes. Uh, Valentine was such a s- real step up from the guy who brought you two world championships. And, uh, God, that was horrible. I don't even want to think about that. Right. All right. Well, uh, we've done a lot of talking. I appreciate, uh, again, you sitting down and talking about all this with me. And I will ask you, because you know a great deal of many people outside of your son, I ask a lot of people this question. If there were two people, one fairly easily attainable, um, even if it is with your assistance, and one that is kind of a long shot for me to have on this podcast, could you give me names of two people that you would love to hear their story? You want me to say it on there? Yeah. Well, without thinking about it. Uh, with no time to think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Anybody come pop right into your head that would be a good guest? <laughs> Did you hear that show? No. Well, Fred Clare, yeah. Yeah. A, perhaps a good story. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Connie has a lot of ideas. Yes. <laughs> David Newhan is coming in the off season. I've already gotten his wife to lock that down. Oh, good. I haven't talked to David yet, but... <laughs> But his wife has I'm said that sure that, he will. Yeah, yeah. It's a tough on the yeah, spot question. It is a tough. Okay, on well, you you can tell me off off air then. But again, thank you for all of your time on a weeknight to uh, sit and go over all of this with me. And uh, I will let you again if you want to visit uh, Ross's blog that sometimes also contains David. Is he still doing it at all? No. Okay. Uh, he hasn't had time. Conflict of interest, maybe, as well? Yeah, I think there's, perhaps there are many areas. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he just basically doesn't have time. Yeah. Right now. But it's it's new hand on baseball. Yes. Yeah, I better start writing it again. Yeah, right. I'm going to be sending all five of my regular listeners <laughs> over to you. Uh, Thank you. New Hand on Baseball. And you were talking about your two books that are still available on Amazon, which we didn't 
right. uh, throw out before, but do you want to throw out those titles so we can read about the Angels history? Basically, the California Angels complete history, and then the second one was the complete history updated. Oh, okay, okay. So you look those up under Ross Newhan. Yeah. Uh, and you're on Twitter, even. Is what? it just at Ross Newhan? Uh, at Ross Newhan one. Yeah. Okay, so you guys can um, follow the musings of the incomparable Ross Newhan. Thank you. All right, thanks, Ross. All right. All right, thank you very much for tuning into this episode with Ross Newhan. I hope you all enjoyed hearing all of that. Uh, I'm sure it was definitely more for the baseball fan. Again, big thanks to Ross and Connie for opening up their home and letting me come in and record with them for a little while. And a big thanks to Umphreys McGee and their management for the partnership with the podcast now, enabling the podcast to feature their music. You can find them at umphreys.com. You can find their music in all formats, iTunes, Spotify, whatnot. They have a new uh, mashup album coming out soon called Zonky, which is going to be amazing. So uh, make sure you check out Umphreys McGee. Thanks, you guys, for allowing me to have your music on the podcast. So you can find Daddy Unscripted on the internet. We are on Facebook under Daddy Unscripted. Also on Twitter under that same name. You can find us on Google Play, on Stitcher Radio, on iTunes. I would love to have you guys subscribe, download these episodes, leave a review. Any special feedback you'd like to send me, you can send to daddyunscripted at gmail.com. That can include guests you'd like me to have on, people that you know. They might even be your husband or your dad. That would be great. Um, also, some of the big people that might be a little bit more difficult for me to get, whether you have an in to them or not. I like getting that and getting those challenges and seeing what I can do. You never know what might be able to happen. So make sure you drop me a line and stay tuned for the next episode of Daddy Unscripted coming out next week. Thanks, you guys. Thanks, you guys.